Yeah, in in particular, I've been thinking about the fetter of rites and rituals and uh, the and I've been just thinking about it in terms of shoulds and all the shoulds and supposed tos that I have in my mind. Um, I've been finding lately that I'm just shedding them at an alarming rate. All, all sorts of social expectations and, um, and it's, it's also helping me ho- hone in on the word, and we've kind of talked about this before, but on the word right and not kind of interpreting it as some sort of external moral authority and more just about what's right for me and what works for me. Um, and so I've been getting a lot out of that. And there's this process of taking that external moral authority and internalizing it and basically making it so that I, I decide for me what's right. And, uh, and the same with the sense of agency and control over my life. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, that's been really cool. I also, um, during, since the last time I called you, I think uh, the thing that I've also been focusing on a lot is, and maybe the most is um, sexuality and dating and uh, the dukkha around that and, and what works for me. And uh, one thing that I've tried that I got from you is kind of just doing my best to essentially let it go and to just be satisfied with what I have right now. Um, I found it difficult. I found it difficult when I would just see women around as I going about my day, uh, going to the grocery store or whatever it is. And I would see a, a, an attractive girl and I would kind of start, I would, I would jump into this story in my head about how things could be if I knew her or something like that. Um, and I found first, firstly, one thing I found that worked was that if I actually went up to her and started talking to her and she uh, said, say she said, like, no, no, I'm not interested or something like that. At that point, I no longer had any dukkha. Um, it, it's, it almost felt like, like there was this impulse to go meet her and I would fulfill the impulse and irrespective of the outcome, I was fine with it. Um, so I, I kind of experimented with that and Uh, yeah, and I, I, I am still kind of experimenting with it. And <laughs> I, I, in fact, I did a little vacation after I called you and I went to Budapest. And I spent a lot of my time there talking to girls and seeing. And, and it was really actually a powerful experience because I would notice how many insecurities I had self-beliefs, uh, all sorts of things will come up from that, that process. Um, and even uh, kind of going back to the, the shoulds and supposed tos, I noticed that there was this big should that I wasn't, or big supposed to, that I wasn't supposed to be traveling in the middle of the pandemic and what was okay and not okay. And I, in, in particular, what happened was that in order to get into Hungary in the route that I took, I needed two negative COVID tests and I only had one and I ended up forging a second one so that I could get into the country. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but I kind of, I knew I didn't have the actual, I had already taken the test, so I knew I didn't have COVID. Um, and there was a lot around kind of, I don't know, that's when I really started thinking about the shoulds and what's right for me 
And right now, right now I'm actually in Colombia. Um, and I've been dating a lot down here. And I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I guess just been trying to find a solution in, in regards to dating. Um, and I feel I feel like I'm I've made a lot of progress in that in that dimension. You mean a lot of progress in the sense of getting a lot of action? Um, that's certainly there a little bit, but more it's just the it's just this it's just the um it's just the the dukkha being gone. It's not having that because uh, now if I walk past a gorgeous girl and I don't talk to her or anything, I don't feel bad. I don't have that story of what could have happened or whatever it is. Um, and so just kind of, yeah, I don't know. I, I've just been trying to explore and, and see what works in that, in that area. Okay. Um, what would you, uh, so you're, you're just kind of out on the make. You're not actually looking for a girl. You're looking for as many as you can find. Um, yeah, in a sense, um, I've been really enjoying this. Uh, I've been really enjoying the process of, um, getting to know girls and, and becoming, becoming good at giving them pleasure, uh, both sexually and just on a date. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a powerful experience. I notice all sorts of like issues around sense of self-worth. Or like, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of issues around not feeling worthy to go on a date with a girl. Um, and having gone on a few dates, now well, that, you're that doesn't some progress in that, in, in the sense that before you wouldn't go talk to them and then you felt bad. Now you're going and talking to them and you're finding success at doing that. Exactly. Right. But, um, and, and this is actual progress, and I want to congratulate you for that, one step at a time. And so, in that regard, um, right from the very beginning, when, when we think of the girl, and you said that you would tell yourself a story about her. Yeah, and at, initially, it's just this tug. There's this want there's this want for me to know her or something. Well, let's Some go a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper in there. W wanting what? Uh, like some wish for her to be in my life. Right. Or... Okay. So your life is empty without her. Exactly. <laughs> um, That's what we're getting around to is, is that uh, the full on uh, frontal attack that you've been able to see now a little bit of the dukkha or the uh, the dissatisfaction in wanting something. That's really hard for people to see. And so congratulations for you being able to do that, to be able to see that there is in fact an unhappiness, a dissatisfaction when we want something because the underlying point is, is that if without it, we're not whole, we're not good enough, we're not complete. And that uh, this, like uh, many things, is merely uh, the victim's position. In the sense that I, uh, the victim says that, oh, I need love. And the winner says, I have love and mm -hmm. I can share it. But the yes. loser in the beginning is, is then we say, oh, if I go say hello to her and she will reject me, then I will feel really bad. I feel bad enough not talking to her, but yeah. if I do and talk I, to her, it's going to be worse. 
I found when I felt uh, rejected or when I was rejected, I felt good. It felt much better to me than the regret that I would hold on to of, of not talking to her. Well, that true is also more mature. When first, when guys first get sexual, they, the biggest trauma of all is this girl will reject me. That's the biggest trauma. That's why they don't go and talk to them. Yes. It's because exactly. of the fear of the rejection, which means that they, that girl now is going to prove to me that I am, in fact, unlovable. Yes, exactly. And it doesn't make any sense because, you you know, it's, it's not like... Uh, She's, you know, you've talked to her for 30 seconds. She doesn't, she doesn't know you and she can't make a snap judgment about who you are as a whole being. But we do. Yeah. Okay. And the reason that we do is because we don't analyze it. <clears throat> that liking and not liking uh, an individual or something upon first sight is something that is part of the survival instinct of the human. In the sense of, if a predator is uh, um, flying through the air about to pounce upon you, you got to recognize that really quick and get out of the way. Mm. Okay, so we make snap judgments about that kind of thing very, very quickly. And later, if we do a full-on analysis like a wise person would do, then we may come to a different conclusion. But in that first 30 seconds, <laughs> you may not get another chance. And so by her... <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, so it's taking that rejection personally. Mm -hmm. When in real reality, who knows? There's in the reality, she could, have just exactly. been, she could have just been having a bad day, or who knows? She's just busy, or, may, or maybe a million even, different things, or maybe even a bad, uh, more permanent, uh, bad attitude pops up, yeah, exactly on a regular basis. Like guys with your kind of hair, or wear your kind of shirt, or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> So um, that's the first thing now, is to begin to recognize that um, this story that we tell about the girl has something underlying that. And that is, is that the story that you want to tell the girl is not to tell the actual girl, but it's to tell the girl that we have immediately created in our own mind. That exactly. just like your rejection, yeah. you had that acceptance. So her automatic rejection was also your automatic acceptance. And so what you did is you brought that image into your mind about her. And that's all you've got to work on. And so we start making a story about this internal representation. The Buddha calls this the Salayatana, which is not the actual girl. You don't know the real girl. All you know is this kind of image that you've yeah. created about her. Yeah, and I, exactly. And I found even um, even on going on these dates by interacting with who she really is, it for it, you know it ends up conflicting with that image of who I think she is, who I think, how I think women are like in general. And, and it forces me to let go of, let go of that and face the reality of it. Right. That's actually quite a problem if we're not uh, aware of that, because many guys will cling to the first image they had of the girl that they married. And the woman that they married is nothing like the, that first image that they created in their mind. But that's more likely to happen to women because women are the ones who want to remake their the husband in the image that they created in the first place of him <laughs> rather than accepting the real dude. 
And here is where we come to the second point. And that is in in reference to the first part, which is that that first initial image that we have, and then we tell ourselves a story about it, and we want her, and we recognize that then that that wanting is a kind of suffering, that we're incomplete. But we go and we talk to her anyway, and we chat her up, and, and if you do that enough, you'll gain some skills at it. Exactly. Anything that you repeat often enough, if you're doing it uh, uh, at all correctly, you'll uh, develop skills in it. So basically what we can say is, is that this is also, uh, and we'll use the, the word delight, that it's delightful then to pursue this instinctual urge that we have to mate. Mm-hmm. And that um, it's, it's based right into our genes for this whole scenario that you're talking about. This whole scenario exists because of, uh, of the uh, genetic things. Now, you've heard about the idea of the survival of the fittest. Yes. Okay. That's also not necessarily true, but there are survival mechanisms. An example of that is one lion is actually more fit than the other lion. But that other lion has one thing, and that is he's got a really, really thick mane. Mm-hmm. And that you know that the uh, that when uh, lions attack, they always go after the jugular. Mm. Therefore, those lions who have huge manes yes. are not likely to get their jugular done. But, a, but if a dude's got not much of a mane, He'll be the one who gets uh, uh, that that death throw. So if the, if the pounce is done and it's all hair, you've got nothing. But if you pounce and there's no hair, you, now you've got jugular, right? Mm-hmm. So even that is, um, you could say, is just having a lot of hair is a survival mechanism. And that mm-hmm. that also influences the... Uh, uh, so... This idea of survival of the fittest, we have to understand what that word fittest means in what context. And what sure, context. yes. Okay, so in the old days with humans, let us say that we divided humans into two groups. Those who were ho-hum and blasé about uh, procreation and sex, or maybe they had part uh, to do with religions and other things like that. And this, then let's say on this side over here, uh, maybe in a different culture or a different town or in a different area of town or whatnot, these people were all into it. They really liked it. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, here's the point. What is likely going to be part of your own gene pool? The people in your past, your ancestors who didn't care much about sex or those who were really, really into it? Exactly. Sure. Totally, totally understand this. Okay, and so that, if you that understand that, that it, in fact, biology is using you exactly as a to sperm do what bank. it wants. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that 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 uh, um, that instinctual urge that we have inside that you could call the survival of the species itself, not the survival of the fittest member of the species, but the survival of the species. Um, depends upon people really liking it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. because if people don't like it, they don't do it so much. But if we really like it, so you've got built into your genes that you really like it. All right. Does this, uh, does this mean that uh, people who kind of, uh, I guess, break free of this conditioning won't they get eventually outpopulated by the people who don't break free of this conditioning? Yes, that's true. And it, it and it's true just like global warming in the sense that when the tundra uh, frost uh, covering starts to melt, then it's no longer a white covering with snow and ice, but now it's dark tundra itself. 
the mud. The mm. mud then soaks in even more heat than the ice. And so mm. now the global warming speeds up. Uh, okay, yes. And so uh, it's a positive reinforcement cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's also true then that uh, the survival of the species means that you wind up with a whole lot of ignorant people who suffer their way through over-sexuality. And that the uh, population mm -hmm. tends to be depleted for, of those people who can see things differently. Yeah. All right. So that's an, which that what that actually means then is that the world is in no danger of uh, slowly being wiped out due to the fact that everyone's in a monastery. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Right. Not going to happen. So we have to understand that then the spiritual life is for a few. It is not for the masses. Now, when I say that it's for the few, not for the masses, I'm not saying that they uh, become monks or follow the spiritual life or that they begin to get wise uh, because they have, let us say, a low libido from the first place but rather that something else happens. And that's what we want to talk about is the step two in this operation. And so uh, to use an analogy, we're going to switch from sex over to something else. Okay. We're going to switch over to a favorite topic, donuts. <laughs> okay. Okay. Donuts. We... Um, we are predisposed with our taste buds to like sugar and sweets because it is an energy boost. And in a, in a time of fan, uh, uh, famine, then it's, it, yeah. it, it we're, it's, a, it's a dependency that is life-preserving. The same thing is true for uh, fat meat, that when you have meat, that uh, steak for instance, that is well marbled and has a lot of fat content in it is actually the higher priced cut of meat. So if you have a skinny cow and a fat cow, the fat cows not only give you more meat because it's fat, it's also going to be higher quality meat because it's got fat in it. Yeah. Why? Because that fat has that same quality of that deliciousness to us because of our genes. So the donut. The donut mm. is delicious. It's intentionally delicious. Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' and all of those big companies and even Grandma does donuts because they know how delicious they are. And everybody will assume, and yes, a fresh donut, uh, hot, hot off of the uh, cooking utensils, the fat or whatever it is boiled in and, and covered with all kinds of things that Dunkin' likes to do. Those <laughs> things then make that donut especially delicious. And that's why they sell them by the box full. People don't yep. buy one. They buy a whole box, all right? So <laughs> now let's say that the individual has recognized that they've been for a long time eating too much donuts. How do they know that? They know that because they've gotten fat. But it may have not been donuts. But now the idea is, is that they go on a diet. Because they can see that there is danger now in those donuts. When they see the danger in the donuts, that means now they have the possibility to escape from the donuts. If they can only see the delight and only see the delicious quality, then they um, cannot find the escape from it. It's only when we see the dukkha, only when we see the danger, only when we see the dissatisfaction. And oftentimes the dissatisfaction that, that we find in the donut uh, is qu not quite as complicated as it is with, with sexuality. 
that sexuality gets kind of complicated in the sense that very, very few people who say no to the donut will not uh, feel like that they're incomplete or unwhole or not good enough because they don't get the donut. Mm. But if they don't get the, the donut in the sexuality sense, then they feel deprived, dejected, uh, and that the whole much of the idea that has been added to the sensuality or the actual sexual act is what we call good old-fashioned romantic love. Mm. And what is romantic love? Well, it has a whole lot to do with the relationship that a young child has with the parent of the opposite sex. Mm. That we learn to relate to women by the way that we learn to relate to our mama. And that, in fact, in uh, as it goes in in time, many many husbands, especially if they've got kids, will begin to call their wife mom or mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. There's that connection there. That's very very strong. And that when we, as boys, are very very young, our mothers nurtured us. She changed our diapers. They fed us. They kept us from danger. They put clothes on us when they were cold. That's very, very, very common. I'm cold. You put a coat on. (laughs) Okay. And so they're they're always nurturing us and taking care of us. And when we get older and we want freedom from the house, then we start missing that nurturing and care from someone else. And we have never learned how to give that to ourselves. So many guys want not just uh, uh, to get it on, they want a mommy too. Yeah, yeah. And that that's built in part of the package. And so for you, you have to start looking at when you see that girl, before you approach her, you need to start asking your questions, what do I want? Mm -hmm. Do I want to get laid or do I want a mommy? Yeah. What's my relationship going to be with this? Yeah, and I've I've found, yeah, I found on my, uh, there are times where my interactions, especially once I'm already on these dates, comes from a very wholesome place uh, where really I am just giving joy and I am generally accepting and non-judgmental of people. Um, yeah, so so it seems like maybe very initially it comes from uh, a motivation to mate or procreate uh, or, or possibly the, the mother thing, although I I mean, I'll have to look at it more. I haven't noticed that uh, much. But also, definitely, I do find myself in a really satisfied state. And from there, I'm just giving. And I like that, too. Okay. Well, that's part of the job. Uh, let us say that uh, that should be done for you is to help you uh, or to point out things for you to look for, to begin to look for the fact that um, there is both sides in the sense that I want her and then I need her in the sense that without her, I am not complete. Most guys will go, even even if they are very good at their sales pitch, they (laughs) still do it from the victim's position. Yep. Okay. And generally what happens is is that uh, women also have all of this stuff going on, except that they need a daddy. Yeah. So... They're not complete or whole without one. 
It's our, and many times they talk about it, our other half. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I I love this uh, joke by this comedian where he goes, before I met my wife, I was incomplete. And now I'm finished. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So he's making a, uh, a pun at uh, the the actual Duca that's involved with this. Mm -hmm. Okay. But absolutely, it's it's such a pernicious belief that that you you know you need somebody, your soulmate, to complete you, and until you find them, you're always going to be incomplete. Um, that's it's so that's so awful. Yes, but guess what? You were right. It is just a story. It's part of our culture. It's part of our human mythological system that's based upon our instincts and the way that we raise children. But it's not true. You can have a marvelous life. In fact, a more marvelous life is when you are complete and whole within yourself. Then the relationship that you have with others is completely different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. You you're no longer um and I've I've noticed that even as I go up to girls noticing, okay, am I going up it's and they the girls actually are a wonderful mirror because they immediately can feel, oh, he wants something from me. And they feel this sort of taking needy energy. Um and they see that immediately and that's yes. why guys get rejected. You guys set yourself up for failure by wanting it too much. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I've, I've been watching myself on, okay, am I, how am I going into this? Um, and I, I, in, in a way, that's actually really positive because if I'm going into it with a really bad attitude, it just doesn't work. <laughs> so. <laughs> ah. But now what that's stage one again. It Let's go one, now yeah. to stage two to see that doing it has dukkha involved with it. This this is dangerous. This donut is dangerous. And that's what I'm inviting you to look for, to look into, to recognize yes. that there can be bad feelings, that uh, uh, she will have expectations, you may like her and then get to know her, and then she gets to know you and doesn't like you anymore and says goodbye, and now you feel really bad. There's all kinds of possibilities for a great deal of suffering, and it can wind up in violence. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, and that's um, that's one thing. I was thinking uh, a lot of this made me think of the the mythological story of the Buddha and uh how he was kept in kind of, he was kept within the kingdom in sort of a paradise. And when he ventured out, he would see Dukkha for the first time. Um, ah, guess but what? It kind That's of, a Buddhist myth. What's that? I'm sorry to break your bubble, but that's a Buddhist myth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, and exactly. That's why I prefaced it with the mythological story of the Buddha. Um, but one one point from that story that I guess I'm curious about is okay. Go ahead. It seems like the motivation of what led him to the spiritual path in that story is he was coming from a place of excess and abundance. He had money, he had women, he had fame, he had whatever he wanted. He had his own all-girls still, band, among other things. And that still wasn't enough. And that still Actually, didn't stop. But that was brilliant, you see, because the ordinary guy who lives his life and sees other people driving better cars or even they've got one and he doesn't and all of that kind of stuff. And so we, we, we go for that. But there are some people who are born, they say, with a silver spoon in their mouth and they are born in, into opulence. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the opulence alone does not give them the insight that uh, Gautama was able to glean from the opulence that he had. He saw that it was dissatisfying the opulence itself. Mm. But other people, and a good example would be Donald Trump. He was yeah. raised in opulence, and the opulence itself was not enough, and so he continued to squander it. But now uh, he lives in a complete narcissistic fantasy world that's harming a lot of people rather than doing a great deal of good because of that. So the, the distinction there then is, is that both great harm and great good can come out of uh, one born in wealth and opulence so that they uh, have the possibility of waking up to it. That's also the story of the prince and the pauper. I don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's been several movies about it. And basically, it's the story of a, a little boy who lives on the street. He's very streetwise. He knows everything and all the people around him uh, and has a fairly good life. And about the age of seven or eight or something, uh, someone noticed his face, recognized who he was. Uh, they they grabbed him, took him to the palace, undressed him, and found for sure he had the right birthmarks and all of that, and declared that he was the prince, the long-lost prince. Mm-hmm. They dressed him in finery. They gave him guards. They gave him a nanny. They gave him all of this opulence, and he missed the street. He yes. missed his life. He knew that this uh, life in the palace was terrible. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's, so it's and not. so at night, just like the Buddha, he escaped. Mm-hmm. There is also the story of the white turtle, the albino turtle. This is a story by Chang Zhu. Chang Zhu was living his life, and he was well, well known. He was a a, a kind of a for a, a long while a minor official. Uh, doing local business, like a magistrate or a, 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 a mayor, something like that in China, and got a, a wide reputation. So, uh, but that was a very easy job for him to do, and he didn't have to do much of anything. The court found out about him and wanted him to go stay in the court. And he says, well, come back tomorrow and I'll give you an answer. And the answer was the story of the sacred white turtle. The sacred white turtle was found in the wilderness by a a little boy, and he brought it to town, and everybody ogled at it. And so they grabbed this white uh, albino turtle and put it in the temple. They made a pond for it, and everybody came in and worshipped this white turtle. Well, one night, the turtle was able to escape, and he left the temple. And on the way out into the woods, he met a, a, a rabbit. And the rabbit asked him, why didn't you stay in the temple? Everything was wonderful. You had a pond that was safe. And he says, no, I would rather be just an ordinary turtle mm-hmm. dragging my tail through the mud. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was uh, Chang Sue's answer to the court officials who wanted him to go into uh, and be a court official. Is it, no, don't want that kind of life. Okay, so uh, that goes back then to, this is one of the success stories about opulence. And there have been many others, but most stories about opulence and and the heirs to it wind up being that these are desperate, despicable, angry, frustrated old men. I give you Charles Koch as a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes, and I, I feel like what, what's happening right now, I mean, what's happening right now in my life is I'm, in some sense, I'm transitioning into sexual abundance or sexual opulence, you could say. Um, and I... I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, okay. that's what's happening. Right. So now it's time for you to look at it to see 
how little the gratification really is and how dangerous that this behavior is. Can you imagine that uh, whatever you were doing, let's say you had a vasectomy or that there was birth control pills left, right and center and all of that kind of stuff going on. And then on your cell phone, within a matter of two hours, you get three phone calls from three newly yeah. pregnant girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no fun. That's, that's no, no fun, fun at all. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> no, thank you. Now, we also have to understand that sex and sexuality in the old days was extraordinarily dangerous, much, much more dangerous than it is today. It was extraordinarily dangerous. And because it was extraordinarily dangerous physically, it also became uh, extraordinarily dangerous morally. Mm, I see. Okay. And the danger we're talking about, much of the real danger has been ameliorated through modern medicine. Now we do have birth control pills. Now we do have really excellent, well-done condoms. But do you know that condoms have been in use for more than 2,000 years? <laughs> yeah. You that's, know what that's they were made in the old days? I don't. What were they made the from? The stomach of a goat. Oh, wow. Huh. <laughs> With some modification and some stitching and that kind of thing, but that's it. Of course. Yeah. And 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 they haven't been uh, especially effective, especially if it slips off during the action. Yeah. So, um, birth control pills and IUDs and diaphragms and vasectomies and uh, tubalectomies—all of these kinds of things didn't exist in the old days. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but prenatal care did not exist in the old days. The best they had was midwifery, but they had no medical procedures. And so one of the issues that we have to understand was that the Buddha's mom died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons why he could see the danger in it better than we can. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. But his mother died when he was uh, being born, and so he was actually raised by his uh, mom's sister, who also happened to have been uh, the mother of the younger child, uh, Ananda. So Ananda and the and the Buddha were both bro- half brothers and cousins. half-brother on the dad's side and and cousins on the mom's side. And so Ananda and the Buddha were very close. But the point is that in the time of the Buddha, it was extraordinarily dangerous. Not only that, but women were chattel property. (laughs) That the reason that he was raised by his aunt was because his aunt was the wife of the same king that his mother was the wife of, owned property. Okay, so the whole idea then, well, if I'm going to buy that girl, I want to make sure that she's not dangerous. I want to make sure she's not already pregnant with somebody else's baby. And I want to make sure that she's not loaded down with disease and has STDs is going to make me sick. Okay, so for that reason, the virgin becomes Mm. the predominant sellable object. Yes. That the father has to guarantee the virginity of his daughter if he's going to sell her for a high price to a king. That's really interesting because um, I feel like I've been noticing this trend in modern rap songs where the, the sort of sought-after girl is now very promiscuous. And I, I wonder if that's because well, she's more likely control. to say yes, of course. And then the guy gets all of his um, uh, uh, the benefit. And if uh, she's promiscuous, then all the dangers are hers. 
That's the, yeah. the idea. <laughs> Not realizing that maybe if she's promiscuous, she's going to give you something you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, I wanted to... Like maybe also... handcuffs. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, I, I also was curious. I, I've been thinking a lot about selfishness lately. Um, because I feel like one thing that I've been doing is being more selfish and I think it's been the right thing because I think I haven't put my needs first very often. And I've, uh, I've been kind of thinking of this metaphor where they say this on airplanes, uh, they ask you to put the mask on first before you put it over, over your, um, and so you don't put so, it on. And, you may not be able to get yours on by the time you get the one on the child. You'll be passed out. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I've been experimenting with, with just focusing on my needs or even wants and desires, and putting those first. And uh, two, uh, one thing I've noticed is that I, I because I because I don't yet know what that line is where I'm too selfish. And I honestly, I haven't reached that line. I can tell I, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, but I am kind of paranoid. I'm kind of watching out for it. But even as I, even as I start taking care of myself, I've noticed the negative moral judgment, thinking that I'm being selfish, and then later realizing, no, actually, I should do that. Because I need to, if I focus on, then I'm capable uh, of spreading that joy to others. Whereas if I do something else because I think it will make them happy, um, you know, who knows if they're going to make me happy. <laughs> okay. But going back to the time when you're approaching yet another girl, the reason that you're approaching her is totally selfish yeah. in the first place. So yeah. somewhere in there, you have to make the transition. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, and the other, so the maybe other thing, before you approach her, you can, you can start with step two. Step one would be, I'm not going to talk to her because I feel bad and, and she will reject me and um, all of that kind of stuff. So now the second step will be, well, let me, I see her and I see the delight, but do I see the danger in trying to start up yet another conversation with yet another girl? Uh, and where is that going to lead? In other words, let's have some full wisdom about this by being able to see the danger. Okay, I will. I will. I will be introspective. Recognize that no, every can... sweet donut is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and I've already, I've already been watching myself, and I've noticed little mini, mini heartbreaks. And it, when I noticed myself caught in it, I found it so funny. Actually, I. I I was like, oh, wow, I'm heartbroken. Many um, like in with an I or with an A? <laughs> <laughs> with an I, <laughs> many. <laughs> I, I'm not, or perhaps I both so, an I and an A, many, many. <laughs> many little ones, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, but um, I and I'm I'm pretty confident, and this I think goes to that the fetter, the fetter of doubt in the Dhamma. Uh, honestly, and I don't know if this is arrogant to say, but I honestly feel like it's gone entirely. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's not, but I feel in any situation in every aspect of my life, I just have this confidence that I know how to get to happiness. Um, well, that's that. That is number one. That's the first item is that, yeah. you know, that even though I see that girl across the room, 
I don't have to go up and talk to her and chat her up for me to be happy. Yes. And even in my exploration about dating, I kind of, I just have this confidence because I know I'm being introspective. I'm not, I'm watching myself. I'm seeing where the dukkha arises. I like, I just know I'll figure it out because I'm paying attention. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's the first knowledge. The first knowledge that is super mundane, that's a factor of the path, that's noble, and that is not held by ordinary people. The ordinary guy sees that girl over across the room and he says, oh no, I gotta have her, I gotta have her, but she'll reject me. And that whole nine yards, and he's just full of misery and she doesn't even know he exists, never mind that he's in such turmoil. Mm -hmm. uh-huh yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much too i see it in some of my friends it's like they're collapsing with the tuka uh -huh. and and so you've gotten over the the first hurdle that oh well i don't have to feel bad here uh, let me go eat that delicious donut mm-hmm but now we're asking you with that step two, begin to understand that every donut, every sweet donut is dangerous. It come, every action has unintended consequences. That there, in fact, the, the old law of karma, the Buddha refuted that. You know, the, the old law of Kami is, is that if you do a good action, you'll get a good result. And if you do a bad action, you get a bad result, no matter how long it takes to come to fruition. And the Buddha pointed out that, well, there are some actions that are good that will have good results. And there are some actions that are bad that will that you'll know in advance that it's a bad action and it will give bad results. But generally, everything else, almost everything is a mixed bag. Mm. Okay, here's an example yeah. of that. Okay, if you buy stock and the stock goes up, then you think that the buying of the stock was a good action. But if the stock goes down and you sell it, then you think that the original buying was a bad action. The point is, is now the goodness or the badness of that first action is dependent upon the result rather than the result being dependent upon the first action. Mm -hmm. They say that good action gives good results. Oh, no, this action gives a result. And if the result is good, then we'll say it was a good action. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, right. and, in, and in that regard, things are kind of a mixed bag. Another example would be that the penalty flag goes out on the field of the famous game, the Rose Bowl or the championship or whatever, and half the stand jumps up and down and cheers and yells and shouts what a bad call that is. And the other half of the stand jumps up and yells and cheers and say, yeah, we like that because we get an advantage from it. Okay. Mm -hmm, exactly. All right. So in that way, uh, you going up and talking to the girl is now like a, a flag being thrown on the field. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have mixed results. It's going to, exactly, yeah. Okay, so start looking. <laughs> I see you yeah. smiling. I think you're getting what I'm talking about I, now. I, I see what you're saying with this level one and level two. I But I, I have the feeling that I'm going to have uh, a couple more boxes of donuts before I really get to that level two. That's ah, the question is how many boxes of donuts <laughs> will be enough? I might need the Duca to really whack me in the face before I learn right. my lesson or and maybe so, not. So what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to look at the little smacks in the face mm -hmm. and see that that's Duca that you don't really need or uh, to be smacked in the face. So one one thing I've noticed about any any heartbreaks <laughs> start looking at that. Uh, one thing I've noticed about the little dukas just before I talk to a girl or when I talk to a girl and that motivation, I found that sometimes before I see the girl, before I'm thinking about all that, if I'm already in a positive, fulfilled state of mind, I I 
find just naturally being social and then I'm I it's it's not that I'm looking for the girl I'm just being social with everybody around me and then it just so happens that I also am social with this girl um and I don't know that's that's just another thing I've been thinking about because then it seems like Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know what okay. else to say about now, that. But. All right, let's change the subject for a little bit. Sure. Not that I don't want to uh, uh, encourage or discourage you, but um, but to point out that when you're thinking about something, you don't have eye contact. That you do a lot of let's see which one, up and to the right. Yes, I do. Okay, and so. Uh, with girls or with anyone that you're talking to, it would be good if you could maintain eye contact. And I have, is, so I've been thinking about there that. There you go. A lot I too. see it twice, right? It happened again. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I've noticed that there's this pressure that I feel, uh, and often it comes out in this form of having to laugh or say yes a lot and be very agreeable. Um, because I think if I don't, I'll be rejected or some, something bad will happen. Um, and, and the same kind of holds with breaking eye contact. I, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it, I, I, it's the same kind of thing where, and I found that when I am able to hold the pressure, what it really feels like internally is I've just let go of it and it just drains out of my system. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something that I'm exploring and working on too, and that that is applying. Not I've noticed it not just with girls, but that's just all social situations. Okay. So, this is what we can we can work on is to start looking at the mixed bag. That this yes. donut has got it's a sweet, delicious donut, but that it's dangerous. It's going to give me diabetes one day. That's possible. Exactly. And girls can give you a whole lot worse. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they can give you a dagger in the back. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to be careful. And that care then that I'm talking about is to begin to weigh in a cost-benefit analysis, to begin to weigh the dangers with the delicious so that you can find an escape. How many boxes of donuts do you have to go through before you finally find the escape? Mm -hmm. the, the, the answer is, is that only when you can see the danger in the sense of, well, maybe this is just not worth it. Mm, okay. Maybe this time it's not worth the effort. Maybe this time, yeah, she looks delightful, but <laughs> that donut is is dangerous. Yeah. Okay. I I will. I I already am, and I will continue to to keep a watchful eye, and uh, and watch when the duke goes up and down. Okay. So. Just like for you with the eyes to become mindful of your uh, of where your eyes are, also be mindful of then what do you want? What do you want from the girl when you go to talk to her? When you understand that, hey, you're good enough without her. You don't have to talk to her. And look how much effort you might have to put into her to talk her into it. <laughs> yes. And that happened today where I didn't talk to a girl just because I was like, eh, it feels like too much effort. Too much work, right, exactly. Been there, I'm done that. just as I am. Uh-huh. I'm good now. That's exactly right. That's, in fact, a famous expression from the Buddha. When he, and he's using it in the context that when, I'm, when uh, someone from outside reviles him, he doesn't have any dejection on, of the heart on that account, 
or when someone reveres him and tells him how wonderful. He has no elation of the heart because of that. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because he has seen all of this stuff before, which is the best, a good expression we have is been there, done that. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. So you can start having that, that thought, oh, I've been there, done that. I don't have to go meet this one again. I can see that there is um, uh, ups and downs to all of this. That not every uh, sweet donut is pure delicious. Every one of them is dangerous. There's no such thing as a perfect donut. (laughs) No such thing as a perfect donut. Girls are real. The only perfect girls are the ones that we idealize in our minds. Yeah. And that's what we do with every one of them. We idealize them. That's because then that's what we do before we go talk to them. So look at it with a little bit of wisdom and you'll recognize, hey, this is a real person you're going to talk to. Warts and all. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. And that she's not the perfect delicious donut. Yeah. Once you begin to see the danger, then you'll begin to uh, think about how many of those donuts in this box you're going to eat. Yeah. I, um, I've been thinking about, I, I, I guess I already said, I've been thinking about selfishness and I've been thinking about how that relates to service. And I realized I used to have this false idea that what I'm supposed to do or what I should do is go, go to where the dukkha is in the world and help the people there. Um, and I realized that that wasn't, that, that, that's not Only the right thing to do. you've got the proper tools to do so. Exactly. Only when you have the skills to do so. You have probably heard the expression. I've seen it uh, when I was in Washington as a, a, a line drawing that people thought enough of that they Xeroxed it over and over again and would have it posted on the wall. So I saw this more than once. And that is... It's a it's an image of a pond with a guy standing in the pond or uh, the swamp and he is surrounded by alligators. Mm-hmm. And the caption is that uh, that when you're up to your hips and alligators, it's hard to remember your original intention was to drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, mm-hmm. and, That's exactly so- what you're talking about. That if you go out there and so all of what, that duke are trying to help, you might you know, wind up um, <laughs> catching it myself. And, uh, and it is kind of, yeah, like what level of resilience do I have towards taking on and being able to sort of flush out the duke of others? You um, have to have and, more good feelings, more positive feelings, more joy uh more gratitude more generosity than they have as a collective group anger frustration fears anxieties sadness and grief guess what i bet you don't (laughs) yeah no and that's that's exactly what i what i've been realizing um better in fact for you to associate with nobles So their nobility rubs off on you. And and the thing, what I've discovered and what I've been thinking about is as I go towards happiness for me and as I go move in that direction to having a life that is more noble, spending more time around people like that, I'm going to run into people who have dukkha anyways and I will still have many opportunities to be of service to people. Um, and, and one example where there's too much dukkha I, when I go visit my parents, I, I keep track of now, nowadays I'm being more precise about it, but I keep track of how many days I can remain joyful. And at some point there's a day where it just, it just becomes a bit overwhelming 
and the, the smart thing to do is to leave and come and make plans for another visit back, but not to feel like I need to stay there for a super long time. Uh, um, because of course, with my parents, things are a little bit more triggering and I, I, and I take things more personally. And of course I'm working on that, but as I work on that, it seems like, um, yeah, there's like a, there's a skillful amount of time to spend with my parents before it's time to say, it was nice seeing you. the next time you intend to plan to stay with them? Um, this will be in a week, maybe. Okay. I, well, I will see them in a week. There's what? Call me again before you go to talk to them, and we'll talk about a few things, rather than talking about it now, before you talk Perfect. to them along this exact line of what we're talking about, of how can you go into the snakes' uh, den and make necklaces out of the snakes? And, uh, yeah, and I, I, it kind of feels with my parents. These are, these are some, some of the bigger snakes in my life sometimes. There's the biggest, absolutely. <laughs> go back and deal with one's parents joyfully when they're trying to give you all of the old stuff that you've gotten all your life it takes quite a lot mm -hmm. you got to have a lot of joy going on yeah <laughs> cool awesome i i'm in colombia now and i'm honestly actually thinking about moving here um and there's a bunch of that reasons. Many sweet but donuts, I, huh? There's a lot of sweet donuts, <laughs> but also like even the weather. I'm noticing I'm a skinny, I'm a skinny Indian guy, and that Seattle weather without any sun and it's cold all the time and raining, it's just not the best place for me. Um, and I'm socializing here. There are a lot of more. sweet donuts in Thailand, so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that too. <laughs> and they're just um, as dangerous here as they are in Colombia. They're, they're, they're dangerous everywhere. So um, it's very possible that I'm I'm gonna move here for some time. I've been enjoying learning Spanish, and um, uh, yeah, who knows? All right. Well, let's leave this call now. I think that we've yes. gotten something really useful. I think yep. that we've gotten you to, to begin to look at uh, the other side of this, rather than just the delight, there's also the danger. Mm -hmm. And so put that into it, and uh, um, we'll reflect later on how many boxes of donuts that it took <laughs> before you <laughs> yeah. got fed up with it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'll give you a call before I visit my parents. Excellent. Good to see you again. And congratulations you on your progress. I'm glad to see when people make yes, good the, progress. The biggest the thing is just that day-to-day -day not having depression and not even really worrying about it at all. And I, it's just a great milestone to have hit. Congratulations. All right. Bye-bye, Domerado. Okay. We'll see ya. See ya.